Welcome back to Diversified Gentlemen Podcast. I am here with Reese and Hakeem. And today we have a special guest with us. We have Dr. D, Dr. Dana Hubbard joining us today. Appreciate Welcome. you coming out, ma'am. Thank you all for having me. Yeah. So real quick, I want to give her a bio because she's a little special. I'm going to give you her bio real quick. I'm going to actually read it so I don't mess this up and then we'll get into it. Dr. Dana Hubbard is also known as Dr. D, is the owner and chief operator of Vitality Health and Wellness Center, LLC. She's a licensed clinical social worker who has serviced active duty members, veterans, women, and children. She is also a certified lead agent with a specialization in organization psychology. Dr. Dana Hubbard received a doctorate in healthcare administration in 2019. So y'all put some respect on her name. This is Dr. D. <laughs> All right, well, welcome to the podcast. That's impressive. Thanks for, yeah, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me, gentlemen. I guess I can give you a rundown of who I am and what led me to creating the Vitality Health and Wellness brand. Please do. So um, originally I'm from Georgia, um, but my mother moved to the DMV when I was in middle school. So growing up, I, my mother didn't have many resources. I was the oldest of three children. So we kind of struggled growing up. So a lot of trauma, had trauma myself, but I was able to persevere with the likes of my family, my aunts, uncles. I grew up in a household with 12 people, a three bedroom household with 12 people. So you can imagine the things I saw. Mm. So um, went to high school, I was forced to go to college. My mother told me I couldn't stay at home. She said, either you're gonna, uh, you're going to get your A out of here. So <laughs> I had, to, <laughs> so I had to go to college. Yeah. So I went to college and never looked back though. I'm glad she forced me out. So I went to um, University of Maryland Eastern Shore for my undergrad, enjoyed the HBCU experience. Then I decided to go on to pursue social work. The reason why I decided I wanted to be a social worker, because I thought that if it wasn't for a community around me and the likes of role models I, I came across outside of my family, I wouldn't be where I was then. Mm. So, and I also had the gift of gab. I love to talk. I thought I wanted to be yes, an engineer. Yes, you do. That's why I had you come <laughs> on here. This girl can talk. Yeah. In a good I way, I though. Wanted, right. I thought I wanted to be an engineer. I was like, this is boring. I need to be interactive. So here I am as a social worker. I went on to get my master's and then again, never being complacent. I'm like, you know what? I don't want to hit the glass ceiling as a social worker. I want to do something bigger. So that's when I decided to join the Air Force in 2009 after I got my master's. And that's where I was introduced to the likes of Jason, right? Um, working as a mental health flight commander at in South Dakota. I was in charge of a team of 22 mental health professionals and we service military members on the base of Ellsworth Air Force Base in South Dakota. So I did that for a few years, realized that wasn't the thing I wanted to do. Left in 2012. <laughs> <laughs> it was great, but it just, it just wasn't enough for me. I got a lot of experience though. I tell people all day, I don't regret it. One, one bit going in the Air Force and serving my mm -hmm. country, but got what I needed and I left. So I left in 2012, dibbled and dabbed in nonprofit organizations, landed a good government job, like good government job, like everybody say, <laughs> worked for the VA for a couple of years, still wasn't complacent. I'm like, you know what, Dana, this isn't it. You running another mental health practice for a, an organization, and you're still not happy. So in July, 2019, 
that's when I started working part-time and created the Vitality Health and Wellness brand. Mm. I wanted to create the space because I realized in the DMV, it was a lot of women such as myself, um, thriving professionals, business women, but still hitting roadblocks when it comes to certain areas in their life, whether it be romantic relationships, um, working in different organizations, not feeling, not feeling adequate enough to sit in the seat they're in, and also dealing with unresolved trauma for a while. So I wanted to create a space just for us. So I created that space in July 2019, and that space has grown tremendously since then. Yeah, I had Congrats. to decide, right, thank you. I had to decide right before the pandemic, February, I gave my 30 days notice at the VA because I realized I couldn't keep up the two anymore. I was busting out the scenes with clients. I was stressing myself. My hair was, you know, thinning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, I had to give up something. And I decided to foster more time and energy into my baby I created, the Vitality Health and Wellness brand. So let that job go. My last day was the day the it was declared a pandemic. March 13th, 2020 was my last day at work. You're starting a business in the, in the middle of a little, like, pandemic. Yes, yes. That's <laughs> what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Let's go back a little bit, though, real quick. So right now, City, you got success. You got your business going. But it took something to be in the past to get you to the point you are now. Now you mentioned you came from, came up in a household that you know had some some drama. I will say I put it like that, and some some things you had to go through. And your mother forced you to go to college. So what kept you focused in the first years of college? Because I know if you get forced to go somewhere and you don't want to be there, it's gonna be hard for you to get through that. But you didn't just go through; you persevered. So what what do you think led you to get into that point to do that? So the first thing that led me was when I was in high school. I went to my guidance counselor. I, I went to Prince George's County High School and my guidance counselor was a Caucasian woman. Mm. I went to her and I was telling her, you know, I think I want to go to college now. This after my mother forced me to go. Mm -hmm. um, I, I need to make, take the SATs now, like help me out. Cause my mother, she went for a year but she really didn't have the knowledge to assist me. So I went to the best place I should go which was my guidance counselor, right? So I'm sitting and she's looking at my grades and this was the underlying moment for me, gentlemen. When she looked, she said, you know what? I think it's best for you just to go to a trade school. I said, wow. you can, you know, do hair, do something like maybe community college. I, because with the looks of your grades and everything, don't look like you can sustain in any university. And that was the moment I said, you know what? I'm going to show you. That's so what I, had that, about. I had that seed in my brain. And then I also had the seed of my mother in my brain because she had me her first year freshman year in college and she told me all throughout life you the reason why i couldn't finish college and i need oh. to finish so i had those two things driving me mm. <laughs> so that was where my motivation came from i really wanted to prove that guidance counselor wrong and i wish i knew her information to this day call her up we're gonna find right. her we're gonna call her up <laughs> let her know yeah so um, hey, you must be a you must be a tourist because I'll be feeling the same way. I'll be trying to prove people wrong. No. I'll be yeah. taking mental, I'll be taking mental dose. No, I'm a Sagittarius, even worse. So oh, we, yeah, yeah. Right. we can take that drive and we can use it for good or bad. Oh, so yeah. I chose to use it for it, good. It, it digs, it digs deep. So back to your childhood. Um, you said that that you had some um some childhood trauma that mm -hmm. that occurred. Would you mind diving into that just a little bit? 
Yeah, I can. So I witnessed my mom going through domestic violence and being abused by by one of her, well, my son's, my son's, I'm sorry, my brother's father mm-hmm. witnessing that domestic violence abuse. And then I witnessed other abuse in my household, you know, family members fighting, people who have mental health issues, but then you just had the crazy uncle and you just yep. had this behavior. He just is who he is. But the drug abuse and things in that nature, I witnessed personally. And then also myself going through sexual abuse myself. Um, it happens a lot in the black community, but it goes untalked about as mm-hmm. well. So um, kind of going back to your mom making you go to college, uh, I had a similar story. My mom basically said right after high school, she wanted to know um, how we were going to divvy up the bills. So and I told her to, you know, hold your horses. <laughs> let me let me figure this out. And I did uh, the, the military. So she didn't make me go to college, but it was one of those deals. If you're going to stay here, we split in everything. Right. And I was like, well, I might as well get a jump starter on my life. Um, but with that, some sometimes that happens. And, um, you know, it's, it's detrimental to the person because they're not ready. Mm-hmm. And some people flourish like yourself. So do you think that was um, like a catalyst to basically becoming who you were? Or do you think if you were coddled a little bit, maybe you could have developed maybe at a slower pace, but it would have had a more solid foundation? Yeah, so I think it's twofold, like you said. I think the fact that my mother pushed me um, to, to get out the nest catapulted me into my direction. But I also knew growing up, I never wanted to struggle such as my mother did. Witnessing my mother, I was getting put out. I was that child, get off the bus and there's trash bags outside and mm. furniture outside. And you act like the furniture ain't yours because you done got evicted. Walking past I it. witnessed that. So I always, huh? Go ahead. Past it. Yeah, just walking yeah. past, act like, I don't know who stuff that is, girl. Yeah. Walking mm-hmm. past and then you see your mother in the car waiting for you. Oh, we got to move again. So that was another reason why I said, I remember growing up, like, I will never do this to my child. I always had to have a stable place. Like, I could never live like this. So that was embedded in me at an early age. Now, if my mother didn't push me out the door, I do believe that I may have gotten a little complacent in the DMV. Because at the time, I was a shampoo girl making $500 a week. I thought I was making money. Mm. I'm like, oh, I can get my own apartment. And, you know, so I don't know if I would have been able to get where I am today. But I do believe that willpower and drive would have got me somewhere. Don't know where. But if that answers the question. Yeah. No, absolutely. Thank you. So uh, it's it's. One thing that I that I noticed, I, I love watching shows like um, like My Six Hundred Pound Life or like uh, Intervention, right? So a lot of these shows, um, these individuals, it stems from like their problems stem from when they're children, right? Mm-hmm. They, they they have um, incidences that happen to them that you know somewhat scar them, and they have mm-hmm. that um, th- these traumas that never really gets addressed and I think that's a huge problem in the black community um, really and, and it doesn't really get talked about right it, it, it kind of it's too late sometimes once we're adults like what do you think about trauma in the black community when, as for kids mm-hmm. 
So I actually spoke at a church a couple of weeks ago and we discussed that it's very prevalent in the black community, especially among our, our black children is prevalent and is witnessed by either domestic violence or abuse or even emotional abuse or the lack of resources, right? So if you're in a low, lower economic status, you won't have the same resources as someone who have higher, you know, middle-class status, such as like the case of point with the Texas going on, people who have lower resources, they're oh, not yeah. able to get in the hotel or go fly yeah. out like the governor was trying For to the do. Cancun. <laughs> right. <laughs> they don't have... that. It was crazy. Right. Was crazy. But, but they don't have they, they don't have those resources. So all of that can inflict trauma on a child because as we all know, the brain isn't fully developed at that stage. So I do see that a lot. And you brought up a key point with trauma. It, it goes unresolved. We call that unresolved trauma. So you get to the age of 20 or 30 and you realize, well, why don't I have a loving relationship? Or why have I pushed people away? I see that a lot in my practice. A lot of women, lawyers, doctors, thriving professionally, but can't understand why they're crying at night when they mm -hmm. can't get certain things done, the, the obsessive compulsion and what that looks like. The, the reason, the will to want to have control, I see that a lot. A lot of high thriving women who are type A personalities, that unresolved trauma makes them feel like they gotta have in control in areas that they will never have control in. Mm -hmm. so, so it looks differently in different populations of people, but you're absolutely correct. If it goes unresolved, I tell people, you may not have to deal with your trauma today, or tomorrow, but you have to deal with it sometime. Right. Or it may be passed down, you know, to the next generation. And now you have a, a bigger issue, you know, with your children. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I think also an issue in our communities are um, like the, the, the stereotypes that we kind of put on ourselves. And, um, you know, especially black men, we've, we've spoken about this before on our show where you, you can't cry and be vulnerable. So you hold it all in and it just kind of festers. And then that may uh, lead to domestic uh, violence or, you know, at, at work, you gotta walk on eggshells and you feel um, emasculated. So when you come home and, you know, an argument erupts, then you explode and now you, that's an outlet. And you basically, you're, you're taking life out, you know, all the, um, uh, all the insecurities and everything, um, you know, from police brutality, what you're seeing on TV, to, um, you know, just your, your boss being a racist, you get home, an issue occurs, now you explode and have, it, it, then it tears down our, our families and our community, um, and it's just, a, it's just a vicious cycle, and the same thing for, for Black women, where they feel like, you know, no matter what, you got to be strong, you got to keep your head up, you know, you got to keep going. You can't be a statistic. Um, and, you know, that it, it's, they, they feel like they got to be the man and woman, right? So when they get, you know, when, when they keep that energy, even at work, you know what I mean? You can't mess up at work because if they do, uh, you, you're going to mess it up for everyone behind you. And it's, that's just a lot of pressure. And that's not a good recipe for a healthy relationship. I completely Or to be a, you know, a good parent because now you're putting that, you're passing that to the next generation. You better not mess up in class. You better not cry. You better not do this. Um, and as people aren't meant to carry all of that weight over the last, you know, three, 400 years, 
and it's, it's ingrained in us like hey if you mess this up you're not going to mess it up for everybody that that's tough i completely agree with that statement and you made valid points so just recently my team pushed me to do a um e-course where i talk about what you just spoke about which is generational trauma the fact that things were passed down to us generationally and we learned those unhealthy coping skills through our parents grandparents you know, aunts, uncles. So just as you stated, as black men, you are taught, were told or role modeled that you don't cry mm -hmm. in front of anybody. But just like you all, shoot, my mother told me, you tell me what you crying about. I give you something to cry about, right? Like you're not right. supposed to cry. You fix your Even face. as a woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even as a woman, we were taught that you're not, you're supposed to be emotionless. And that is so invalid. And I do a lot of education with my clients on that. I think I done told a few clients last week, just alone Friday, if you want to cry, give yourself space to cry. Crying is an energy and we're human and it's trying to come out. It's like shaking a soda bottle. You got a Pepsi bottle, you keep shaking it and you don't never let the top seep. It's going to explode. So you mm -hmm. got to get that energy out. And I tell people, do it in a safe place. Now, don't do it while you're in the Chick-fil-A line and just start crying. <laughs> yeah. You know, but do it when you're in your tub or in the shower. Get it out. Because sometimes crying is very therapeutic. Research shows it is. Right. But in the Black community, we were taught else, you know, undoing the things we were learned, learned and role model is key. So you're absolutely correct when you speak on that. That generational trauma is real in the black community because our right. ancestors had to do it, right? When they were in the fields, they had to work through that physical pain, the mental pain, the emotional abuse of the masses, you know, whelps on their back. They push past pain and we were taught to keep pushing past pain. And that's, again, that's unhealthy. Yeah, in that same vein, yeah. you think about it, as you're a black man, we have had a problem of expressing love too, especially towards each other, to another other males. That's considered weak. You're making them soft. You have to let them, you know, put some hair on their chest and be tough. I think that's also, it helps, it hurts us in expressing that love, which I think leads to a lot of these problems is that lack of expressing that love. How many black men hug and kiss their black male child, children? Mm -hmm. You know, how, how much is that happening? How much does that lead to us having children that don't know how to express love themselves, which leads to them treating women a certain way without expressing that love that they need. And it creates a, an entire cycle, entire cycle. Or never, or never feel love. Yeah, you feel, you feel that love or know, know how to accept never it. Never felt love as a kid. Right, yeah, no, exactly. can't express it, don't, 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 know how, don't know how it looks. So how do you express it to somebody else? So your profession, how, what do, you, do you see that a lot? When you deal with veterans, especially male, I don't know if you do a lot of males, what, what you do is, do you see and a lack of knowing how to be loved and how to love. Yes, I see that a lot. So I, a lot of my work at the VA was with veterans, um, specifically Vietnam veterans, mental health. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you're right. So you were taught not to show emotion. And also if you are a veteran, right, you are really taught to not to show any emotion. So it's a double layer effect. So, and I tell people that um, the fact that if you never know, knew what healthy love was, you won't be able to demonstrate it. Mm -hmm. And it looks differently for everybody. Everybody's needs are different and trying to figure out what your needs are, are important. And I tell people, it ain't the superficial things like, oh, I want, I want her to be, you know, five, two with all this right. and that. No. No, and just like my women, I'm like, he, you know, he got to be 6'2". No, I, I'm not talking about all that. I'm talking about the interpersonal things. 
that you need from a person, someone who knows how to communicate, family oriented, spiritually, like on that level, Mm -hmm. figure out what that looks like for you in order you to find a person who can match it. I don't think a lot of people actually really know that too. I mean, I, I, you say it's like the uh, the the intangibles. Um, I, man, it, it it's hard to call. I mean, I'm pretty sure you see it a lot in your profession where a lot of people just don't even know what that looks like or feels like. You know, it's like how do you know what you want if you've never felt it before or mm-hmm. never had it before? Have you seen that? You seen that a lot? Where yes, it's like, I man, see these people that. really don't. Yeah. Yeah, I see that a lot, but a lot of that happens. So I'm, I tell people I'm the type of therapist that we're going to start at therapy 101. Like I'm going to educate yeah. you so you can be do go do your work outside of this office. I'm not going to hold your hand. I can't hold your hand in life. All I can do is help you thrive and help you learn your emotions and become more in tune with them. So as we spoke of Black people, most of us grew up emotionless or with emotionless parents. So you got to start at ground one. What does it look like when you get upset? Identify what those feelings are, not just angry. Oh, he made me angry. She made me angry. People don't realize anger is a secondary emotion. Okay, well, Dr. D, okay, they got running back. Okay, well, I'm hurt. That's why I'm angry. Okay, well, let's talk about the hurt. And what does the hurt make you feel like for you? Because it looks differently for Jason, Reese, Dana. It looks different for everybody. When I'm hurt, I shut down, I isolate. Mm-hmm. So helping them identify themselves first before they can identify what they need from their partner is key. And unfortunately in the social media uh, uh, generation era that we're in, that doesn't help either because you know we, we discussed also about social media being about highlights. So if you're going through something and you just seeing your girl uh, she get engaged. She posted a big rock, and then, then they had an amazing wedding, and now they're on vacation. And then your boy just bought a, a new a new car, new Benz, and you're just sitting here like, I got all this debt, and they just continuously. And then you're not even not even your friends, but just you know people you don't know, the celebrities. They're just flaunting the highlights, and it may not even be their highlights. It may not even be authentic. It could be borrowed or rent rented. And if you're having a bad day, this makes you feel worse. Mm-hmm. It's like, why haven't I done A, B, C, or D? Why aren't I pregnant? Why don't I have any kids? Why haven't I found the one, right? And, um, you know, sometimes, like, I tell people, just disconnect from social yeah. media. It's not, it's not helpful. Reality. Like, what are you doing? And I think every time we have a, a free second, we hop on the phone and see, see what's happening on the ground. You know what I'm saying? We see, and it's always people smiling and happy mm-hmm. no on there like man I had a you know it's very rarely right but it's it's people flaunting look what I got look what I just got look how happy I am mm-hmm. and um that I could see that it's adding fuel to someone's fire and going deeper into whatever state of depression they may be in you're mm-hmm. absolutely right Reese and that's one thing I talk about all the time if you are in a state of depression or anxiety or feeling overwhelmed by the police brutality unplug it's okay to unplug so um and i need to be honest for myself i too have compared to myself you know it's we're all human that's human behavior you see the social media it's like well dang she didn't got married for the third or fourth time and i'm still over (laughs) you know (laughs) 
I want Hakeem abs. Why can't I have those? Right. <laughs> but but so it's so easy to get sucked down that 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 tube. It's so easy, and it's just stepping away and starting to identify. Well, what do I have? Like you know, like it's easy to say what you don't have. I tell my people identify the things you have. Like, okay, I may not be married, but I have a thriving practice. I'm, I have a, a healthy black child, you know, like identifying things that makes, that are my strengths and not just identifying all of your weaknesses. Like you say, Therese, well, I got debt and this person got a new Rolls Royce. You know, you, you never know what's behind the story and not focusing on everybody else's lane. You got to stay in your lane. You don't know what's going on to the right or the left of you. They don't, they're only privying you to the things they want you to see. Mm-hmm. So you're absolutely correct about that. It's a lot of constant comparison from that. And it can increase people's depression symptoms, their anxiety symptoms, all of those things. And it seems like a lot in your profession that a lot of people come see you after maybe after an event or after they've been diagnosed or they have to go through the anxiety or the depression. Are there some things that, let's say I'm a healthy young black male, I don't have depression, I don't have anxiety, but I don't want to get it either. What are some things that I can do to prevent me from getting to that point? Some preventive maintenance type stuff, like what's my vitamin? What's my emotional and mental vitamin that I can take to help prevent some of that stuff in the future? So I tell people it's about balance. Um, so it, it's it, for mental, you just having a place where you could go talk to. Even if it ain't a therapist, it could be your cousin, your, your, your spouse, a safe place for you to talk. And, and sometimes people don't realize when it comes to talking, I don't know about you in the black community, You go, I got a cousin I go to and she thinks she got to give me a solution for everything I talk to her about. Right. Like, I don't need a solution. I just need to dump. And so I'll tell her that, look, cause I'm just calling you to, to vent. I don't need to, I'm not asking for your opinion. Mm-hmm. I just need to dump. And she's like, okay, cool, go ahead and dump. But I had to set it up that way because a lot of people, when you go, they think they need to solve your solutions. And that's not what most people want. They just need to talk. So if that's the case, letting the person know what you need from them and not assuming they know what you're looking for. Mm. That's that's good. The- I'm glad you said that's a good point. Because I was I used to be that guy. When people talk to me, I automatically assume, oh, I got to figure, figure this problem out. How can I solve their problem? It took mm-hmm. me years of maturity. You're like, you know, I'm just going to sit here and listen and nod. And so they ask me specifically, what do you think I should do? <laughs> you know, yeah, that's, that's, hard. that's hard to do that, man. Just sit there and listen to yeah. you and like, yeah. you do this, but they're not, you're not there for that all the time, man. It's, it's hard to be an actual good listener just to listen. You know what I mean? Right. That's a skill you to develop. So right. you're, you're, so you're, you're, you're usually the one helping, right? And then outside of going to your cousin for, for advice or just a venting session, what other therapeutic methods do you personally use to, like when you're stressed or depressed, what therapeutic methods do you use to kind of just like find your zen? So what I, I'm a traveler. So just like recent airport, I'd be in the airport every other, if, before COVID, I'd be somewhere monthly. People are like, well, when do you stay home? Got it. <laughs> I'm talking about that, that was my outlet. Like I just needed a different setting to unplug. And it was just um, not just unplugging from technology, unplugging from my environment, period. So for Thanksgiving, matter of fact, my plans fell through with my family in Georgia. We didn't want to risk our grandparents' health, so we didn't go. So I was like, what am I going to do? My son with his father, I'm like, I'm not just going to stay home. So I just booked a trip the next day to California. Nice. And, and I'm like, the, the tickets are cheap. Shoot, why yeah. not? 
for Thanksgiving, I laid on the beach and I ordered takeout and it felt so good. Yeah, that's amazing. So I unplug when 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 Dana is stressed or overwhelmed, my family knows, oh, she about to go somewhere. <laughs> and and now, but during the pandemic, I couldn't go nowhere, right? When it yeah. first started, mm-hmm. everything halted. So I well, that's when I really started tapping into, okay, what can I do? I don't have access to the normal things that get, I can cope through travel. So I need to develop new coping skills. Mm-hmm. So I started doing more exercising. So I, um, you see, I got my Peloton. I see that. Yeah, I'm like, but working out with my trainer, I started working out with a trainer again. I just got more into my physical health and that really, really helped ground me and my emotions. That's my place to dump. Like that's my place to dump. So I've been focusing more on that and, and just trying to work on balance and not overwhelming myself. And because theoretically, most people would think, oh, Dr. D, you got more time. You over there working more on your business. Nope. I'm working more on myself. I've always, always been a believer on boundaries, even when it comes to professionalism, boundaries. I'm not going to be bringing work. I never brought work at home because of COVID. We have to. So I still create boundaries with that. Okay, I'm I'm gonna be done by five o'clock. I'm done. I'm not opening up the computer. I don't care what I got left. It's gonna wait till the next day. I think I learned this when I was in the military uh, <laughs> station with my colonel. He he taught me one thing, and it stuck with me. If nobody died or it's not nothing's burning down, you go home. Like it's okay <laughs> right. to go home. It will be there tomorrow, and I still I still live by that. So that's what I do to, to stay grounded. It's about balance. Mm-hmm. So so speaking of COVID, have you seen um, an uptick in like depression or anxiety uh, since the pandemic? Tremendously, yes. <laughs> when mm-hmm. I tell you our waiting list continues to grow, uh, it's a lot of people now more than ever is looking for mental health because they're stuck, they're confined home at home. They can't change the environment. They can't change their scenery. We're not as mobile as we were physically, right? We're not walking to people's office. We're not socially engaged with other people. Things have stopped tremendously. So a lot of people are at home just sitting in their stuff. Mm -hmm. And then over time, it's starting to become depression, starting to become anxiety. Um, The rate of domestic violence has went up tremendously since the start of the pandemic. Because people are home with each other. So if you're at home with your abuser and he or she may have lost their job, not working. So you really over top of each other. You can't go to the store or go hang out. So it's more, it's more incidents of domestic violence. It has really gone up. So Mm. it's real out here. It's a lot of people. And I'm glad it's a lot of people wanting to seek the help, especially in the black community. So um, I know a lot of myself and my colleagues, we are booked to capacity because we can't accommodate the, the need. Right. And I see that a lot more. I see a lot more folks uh, that are reaching out and being more honest with themselves, how help they need and getting it help. The problem I'm seeing, I'm not sure if there's a solution or if you have a solution for it, is those with lower income that don't have access to those services. They, they don't have the, mm-hmm. the knowledge about it, the awareness of it, or the resources to get those, get those uh, the help they need. So they, they're even get more ingrained in that because you don't have the economics to back you. You don't have the knowledge or the access. It's a spiraling, spiraling uh, incident for you. There's no no way out. So do you you see or talk about or or know a solution to that? 
No, I don't know a solution for, but I do see the economical disadvantages mm. in those communities. So when I worked, um, one of my jobs, I was doing a crisis. I managed a crisis organization in, a, in DC public schools. And a lot of those students, they were getting their mental health services in school because it's such a big need for it. Mm. They have social workers and therapists, psychologists embedded in the schools. So now that the kids are at home with their parents, they don't have access to technology. So their Wi-Fi isn't up to date to stay uh, on top of class. And then the therapist they did have who was still working, they won't see their therapist because guess what? How are you gonna see your therapist wow. and you living in a house with a lot of people or you don't have the space or you don't have the device to see them. So it's a lot of kids and, and adults that are just stuck in mm. this bubble and and to be honest it's i don't i really don't have a solution for right. it it's open I, I really do believe they need to open up spaces where these kids could be seen or families could be seen in these community service organizations but again it goes back to the the pandemic people not feeling safe seeing people in person yeah. mm -hmm. so i want to go back to um you said you you spoke to the church a uh, couple of couple of weeks ago what what how do you advise the church because I think um that has played a part of where we are now with the you know just pray on it or keeping these um keeping that image that pristine image of you know you're holier than thou where everyone's got like a past everyone's got stuff going on um, but when we're at church, everyone's happy, right? Especially at the end, every, you know, and everyone's in their Sunday's best um, and basically putting on a good front. And if you are going through something, it's just pray on it. So do you see the, the church kind of changing the way that um, they kind of handle mental health issues? Yes, I do see over the past, seem like the past five years, a lot of pastors are, are more open about speaking about mental health and pushing the congregation to go see a therapist and aligning with us mental health pro providers a lot more. Um, because as you know, I grew up in a black church and it's mm -hmm. Jesus, you know, Jesus prayed to, pray to give it to God and then just yeah, let it go. Yeah. Let go, let God. I was like, but I'm still stuck with my thoughts. Where is my You're thoughts? Still there. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what I tell people is uh, therapy is just an addition to your spiritual religious base. Everybody needs a spirituality or religious base because if not, that's the last thing that people have when they have nothing else. Research those when people think about suicide, the last thing that keeps them from doing it is their religion or their spirituality. So I tell people, you that's one of the fundamentals you need in order to do mental health work, mm -hmm. to do the work with us. You need some type of balance. So I push people to have, and again, it's a difference between being religious and being spiritual. Yes, yep. Big difference. Um, so I'm educating them on that. What does that look like for them? Spirituality, does meditation help them? You know, what, what, what do you believe in the higher being? What is it for you? And how can we implement that in the work we do? I do that a lot as a therapist. Because one tool alone doesn't help someone who is going through it. You need multiple. You need multiple tools to pull from. So we really do encourage that. And people think therapists don't, but we do. Mm -hmm. And when 
when when one of my clients opened up the door to the Bible, oh, I'll talk to I'll talk about the Bible with you if you open that door. But I'm not going to just utilize that as the only thing we talk about, unless you want us to. All right, thank you. So, um, how long did you do in the military? Four years. Four years. Okay, so more than that. Seems like it was more than that. Yeah, Mm -mm. Ellsworth did it for you. (laughs) So, so so I want to I want to switch to that. So, kind of what what led to you? You basically were in a in a good career field, right? Where um, you would be getting promoted on time, and for the most Mm -hmm. part, it was safe. So, what led you to no kidding uh, take take a leap of faith and say I'm a I'm gonna put that behind me. Was it like a sense of purpose or a calling or the military just wasn't for you? Well, all the above. The military wasn't for me, but also when I went to officer training school, the first thing they told us when we got off the bus was, you leave your um, professions at the door, you're an officer first. And I'm like, well, that don't even make sense. Like, you know, like, I, how, am, how am I going to do that? This is years of education. You telling me just to dump it in the back of my brain. But I see what they meant when I became a therapist in the military. It's a lot different than the work I do now. In the military, we're taught to just get you back to work, get you back to the mission. I don't care about your life when you were a child, Jason. I just need mm-hmm. you to get, how can I get you back on the line? You know, so it was that quick fix. Let's put a Band-Aid over it, get you out. Band-Aid's out. And and I saw that. I'm like, you, you know what? Wow, like you really can't do the work here. Mm-hmm. Like it's so ineffective to just be pushing people out the door to get them back to the mission. That's not what I was told as a professional. But again, I'm, a, I'm the officer first and I'm the social worker second. So I really, that was a really, that was a hard pill for me to swallow. I'm glad you said that that because- Were you kind of conflicted? Were you kind of conflicted as to, yeah, this is my job. I I took the oath and I got to do it. And and damn, I know this person isn't ready yet, but I'm signing off for him. You know what I mean? Or this may spiral later, but this is a temporarily, he's good enough to do his job, but he needs a lot more treatment. Yeah, so I would. I was very conflicted, Reese, and I was empowered enough to push back to certain commanders when certain people needed certain things. Like, look, I'm not signing off. This is what the person needs. But to the flip side, it was the person who came in there who had a certain diagnosis, and but now I didn't give you this diagnosis. Now you got to go. So now I can't even work do the work with you because now right. I'm trying to process you out. So that was disheartening. Here it is. And I've seen a lot of people like that. And this one particular young airman sticks in my mind. She had um, bipolar tendencies and got the bipolar diagnosis. But then too, she was so ready to go from the military because of the culture and her diagnosis. But I knew in my heart, if you left, it's just, you're not going to have no resources. Mm. And so, but again, the command wanted her out. Air Force, if you ain't doing what we need you to do, you out, right? So I had to process her out. That's the thing I was going to say that the military, and it comes down to it, that's what, they, that's what they're there for. They're there for the mission. And mm-hmm. if you're healthy enough for the mission, that's what they need you to do. You know what I mean? That's what it boils down to. And that's the organization. You know what I mean? That's why it's not for everybody. Those that had those deep rooted mental health issues, the military, you can seek your help, but that organization may not be for you. It may be something else for you. you. 
And then, but you know what, Jason? Yeah. I'm sorry to cut no, you please. off. When I worked before I joined the military, the recruiters used to come to the organization I worked for with teenagers who were under the state of Maryland's care. So I was their social worker mm. and I wasn't, they were living on residence because they were taken away from their parents. So they all had diagnosis, was on medication. Mm. They have recruiters. They come in, Dana. My recruiter told me to stop taking my medicine so I could join the military. I'm like, what? No, that's real. Yes, yeah, so they, they will stop taking their medicine and 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 excuse their diagnosis just to get them in. I'm like, that's not for you. You're going to crumble. And that happened a lot, right? You get people in basic training or officer training, and they just don't make it. Yep. Or they get through that. And then they don't make it six months to a year later. That's exactly it. I had a, I was taught ROTC last couple of years and I had a student that was pursued by a recruiter. I'm knowing she should not be going to the army or, you know, in any kind of military service right now because she's not there mentally or emotionally. Mm -hmm. They're praying on her and I couldn't do but so much to get her to do it. And she ended up going, but she didn't last six months. Mm -hmm. six months and she was gone back as a civilian because she was not prepared mentally or emotionally to do that and they knew it but they still prayed on her they still prayed mm -hmm. on her to get, her get her in there because there's a good body count got somebody in there that's the part that we don't talk about a lot you know and yeah am i proud of my service 100 percent proud i'm glad I did every, every year i did but there are some issues there are some Correct. issues it's not a perfect perfect thing and right now i think we we paint it as as such because we have the patriotism you know we have the, the hero culture which I don't disagree with, you know, we have that for, for a reason, but we have to acknowledge that it's not all roses. It's Correct. not all there. There are those that prey upon these people to get people in there because they're gonna be easy to manipulate. That's what it boils down to. And then when they don't fit well, the bill, yeah. they're gone. I think 95% of us who, uh, especially if we came and enlisted, it, it was more than likely because you didn't have, you had limited options or you came from like humble beginnings. Huh? very rarely were you 18, 19, came enlisted and you turned down a, a scholarship somewhere. Your your parents had money. It's because um, it was like the best course of action and it was the, the best opportunity at the time. And then when you get there, you kind of fake it till you make it. And what sucks is, you know, some of us, we, we get there and we kind of bring our traumas or our hood with us. Mm -hmm. And then we end up in a worse situation because now you're out with a dishonorable discharge that's basically like a felony on your record. And we're just on to the next, on to the next warm body. Because, you know, being at a Chicago public school, we didn't have colleges there. But I will tell you, the Army was in there heavy. The Army mm -hmm. was in there heavy. I mean, you're a product you of know. your environment, man. I got a 19-year-old that I uh, supervise that is falls right into that, that description. He's 19 years old. This dude doesn't know anything. You know what I mean? Like he literally just joined the military back in June of what, 2020. So he's brand new. He brought whatever hood he came from to the military. He's still mm -hmm. like in that mental capacity. You know what I mean? I talked to him, you know, as much as I possibly can, but um, he's so young minded still. It, it's hard for him to break it, break mm -hmm. from that life that he came from. He was, you know, that's where he's from. So it, that's a big issue in the military, but you know, it's the numbers game. So I, I don't know how you fix that. You, I don't think you can. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the only way you can is just kind of recognize that, you know, um, 
unfortunately, some people who were brought up like that, they they change and they're just so they're so disconnected that they forgot they were that person. Yeah. Um, but hopefully, you know, you keep that and you keep that empathy, you connect with people, have those personal personal relationships, and that's where you can, you know, sit them down and say, Hey, I I, I get it. I was you uh 10, 15 years ago. Um, but this is where you're headed, and this is where you can be, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You could you could take advantage of this, you could do this for three, four years. Um knock out school or you can do 20 30 years and have a great career however you stay down this path it's going to be worse you're going to be in a worse situation um than not before then before you came in mm-hmm. hey one question i want to ask you dana before we get out of here is five years from now what do you see vitality health and wellness center mm-hmm. oh five years from now where do i see vitality yeah I see vitality, health and wellness in other areas in the United States. Um, I do want to expand soon. I want to be able to bring that authentic mental health care to other black communities, not just the DMV. So definitely expand it and um, breaking off into other areas. Podcast, hopefully. Um, there you go. Uh, materials for books. For mental, about mental health in the black community. So I do see those things in the near future. I dig it. I like it. I like it. I like it. Yeah. So we like to, we, we want to end it with like something tangible. Uh, we talked a lot of, we gave people a lot of tools that they can do, but we just want to go around and uh, start with you on um, what can people do as far as like today, right? Without booking a session, what can they do? right now today to kind of help with their mental space today uh, learn learning the art of saying no i think is most important we feel compelled to do so many things break our back to reach certain deadlines at work home family just learning when is your max when is it okay for you to say no and what that looks like for you. I know when I know I need to say no is when I'm starting to feel overwhelmed most days. I didn't feel overwhelmed two days out the week and it's just working out ain't helping. I just can't figure out what else is going on. That's when I'm like, okay, let's take a step back, reevaluate and look at the things you can say no to for right now. And it's okay for right now. So Dr. D talked about balance a lot. Um, I think finding that balance in your life, and she brought up a, a really good example with the uh, work and just leaving work at work. You know, I mean, when, you, when you're at work, you, you know, that's work. And when you're at home, you're at home. So finding that balance and really just separating the two, um, keeping that, that mental stability. And I would say uh, kind of cycle off things, like take breaks from either social media, um, you know, go on a vacation, take a take a break from work. Um, you know, t- just take a break and give your time and give your body and brain and all that time just to reset and recharge and, and feel better if you can. Yeah, I would say find yourself a Dr. D. I don't care where you are in the, in the, uh, in the world. Find somebody that you can talk to, that you can um, get those things out, you know, be prevented with it. Treat it like you do any kind of other health, mental health, emotional health, physical health, spiritual health. All those healths are important. So treat them like you do other things. You want to get in shape, eat healthy, work out, do the same thing with your mental. You know, see somebody before you get to a Christ point of crisis and it'd be okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to say, you know what? I'm not feeling like I should. I'm going to seek help. 
that's okay. So go ahead and do that. Find yourself a, you know, Dr. D and get to, get that done. All right, cool. So that was our show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you all for having me. That was fun. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> good sure. conversation. All right. And where can yeah. folks find you? If they're in the DMV area, where can they find you to seek out help? Yeah. Oh, our website, vitalityhealthandwellnessgroup.com. Cool. cool. That works. All right. So, yeah, we'll make sure we tag that. And for our listeners, please make sure you like and subscribe. All right. See you next week. Later. Later. Yeah. Thank you, gentlemen.